Welcome back to the Board Game Community Show. I'm your host, Riley Stock, and today I've got Fabricio Leoti. How you doing, Fabricio? Hey, Riley. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm good, thanks. Let's uh, get started with what got you into board gaming, and you're a designer, so what got you into designing? Awesome. So, yeah, I, I've been playing games since I remember, basically. Maybe video games as a start when I was maybe five or six, but then I always played back in I'm Brazilian, and back in Brazil we only had uh, games like Monopoly and Game of Life and War, this kind of games there, the, the very old ones. So, of course, I started with those. Uh, but then uh, I found tabletop role-playing game. And then I, I've i been playing for like 20 years, maybe maybe more. <laughs> so, um, so that's what got me into gaming. And then in 2011, uh, my wife gave me as a gift the first edition of Mansions of Madness. And that's what got me started in the modern uh, a version of the the board games and i i mean I, I could never stop after that so that's what i i did but i but i started designing games way before that because i was the game master for most of the role-playing game sessions that we played so i was very into like designing games or stories or scenarios this kind of stuff and at some point back in 2001 i was really into play something that was i don't know like uh, Age of Empires, the video game, uh, but also that could give me the board game feeling like war or something like that. So I, I didn't have anything like that back there. And I decided to design my own game and I did it. It was a quite a journey. It took me like uh, almost a year to do it. And it was like huge. And of course, looking back uh, from today, it was horrible. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I still convinced some of my friends to play like maybe three or four sessions of that thing. So, uh, yeah, thanks for all the friends that were supportive because the game was horrible if I look back from today. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but that's when I started and I could never stop. After that, I designed a lot of games for friends and families, family, my family. And, yeah, I, I played a lot of my games, like, uh, I don't know, flicking games and card games. I, I, I did all, a lot of them, but I never published anything. So uh, that's... Uh, that's my game design origins, game designer origins, I guess. I love it. That is really cool. And now you've got something that you're just getting really close to releasing, right? Well, putting on Kickstarter, right? Yeah, exactly. So about a month from now, I don't know, we're recording this like still in July. So that's why I say a month from now. I don't know exactly when it's going to air. But uh, yeah, I'm going to launch a uh, Kickstarter campaign for my one of my games. It's called Hyper Wars. And it's a real-time uh, area control game, which I've, I've heard a lot that is not that common. And in fact, I don't think I found uh, other real-time area control game, to be honest. And it's yeah, it's been a, a quite a great project. And this step, especially to get go, going from okay, I have designed this game, I have tested this game, to something like I'm ready to publish it, to offer it to a bigger audience. It's quite scary sometimes, but it's it's really it's been really a, a great journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it fits a really cool uh, niche, which is the it plays really quick, like 10, 15 minutes, right? Exactly. It's a very short game. It plays like in you actually have a action phase that is timed to five minutes. You actually have a timer, and when the timer uh, uh, runs out of time, then you count points. You score your points. So basically it takes 10 minutes more. So it's 10 to 15 minutes in total, but never much more than this. So it's really fast. And the game is very fast paced. It's very, 
intense, very like uh, yeah, really pumps adrenaline into your uh, game. Yeah, well, I think that's like the perfect kind of start to game night or even just playing you could probably play it all night and just have multiple rounds over and over again see who can win the most rounds yeah exactly yeah so i we, we usually do that when i have uh, people over that enjoys the game and we're going to play something else something longer then we normally start with hyper wars first and then yeah everybody's very already prepared for a longer night because it really gets like your 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 uh, blood pumping so yeah yeah. Back when I was, I used to be in a band and we would play, if we were having like a slow start to a concert, we would play one of our songs that was really, really fun. And that would like get our energy up. And then the concert from then on would be like a lot higher energy and our, the rest of our songs would be better because we were like in that mood, that fun mood. And I feel like this would be the equivalent for me, you know, like yeah, I think so too. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a it's a perfect way to start something and then just get in, into the rhythm that you want to to be in to play other games and stuff. So, exactly. Yeah. Really cool. Because there's like I've played other short games and they can be fun, but it's like they don't necessarily get your blood running or like get that excitement going. And from what I can see, this yeah. is that. Which and also for me, your theme is one that I would love to see more of. <laughs> Do you nice. want to talk about the theme? Yeah, cool, sure. So yeah, Hyper Wars has a cyberpunk theme. And I'm it's I'm, I'm very fond of uh, cyberpunk for like my whole life. I, I played a tabletop role-playing game campaign that took 10 years. And I was uh, game mastering most of the sessions. And it was completely inside the cyberpunk world that I created together with my friends. Uh, of course, with a lot of uh, um, influence from uh, X Files to um, Blade Runner, or yeah, a lot of uh, great things to be influenced by, of course. But it was a, a world that we built over ten years, and so I'm really fond of the of the theme. And I actually kind of miss this in the board game world. There are, of course, very nice uh, cyberpunk themed games, but if you compare with other more common themes like Cthulhu or zombies or uh, uh, medieval fantasy, this kind of stuff, yeah, it's not even close to that amount of uh, games in that theme. So. Yeah, and I definitely think it deserves more in the genre, because it's a, it's a fun genre to play in. Yeah, I, I agree. There's a lot of space for like character building and world building. There's a lot of themes inside themes that you can discuss when you have uh, a cyberpunk background. For example, I've been playing a lot of cyberpunk 2077 lately, uh, oh. and the amount of stuff you can get into that game, the amount of discussions you can have, the amount of like sub-themes that you can bring is like amazing, amazing. It's really incredible how you can expand uh, these to several other uh, themes inside your game. Uh, sidetracked. What are you playing it on? Uh huh. <laughs> you mean uh, you mean Cyberpunk uh, twenty seventy seven? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm a I'm a street kid, uh, and I'm uh, playing like I guess I played maybe twenty thirty hours right now, but I'm not even close to the end because I really like to explore and I take a lot of time inside the game. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> it's really amazing. So I, I don't cut any like cut scenes or stuff like that. I always 
if I get into a car and someone is driving me somewhere, I take the ride. I, I look through the windows and I, I enjoy the cities. I used to play, of course, a little bit of Cyberpunk 2020 uh, back when I was a kid. So it's been like I was expecting this game for maybe 20 years now. And it's really cool to see it uh, finally come alive like a video game. It's really cool. Yeah, I think that's one on my list. But I've heard you need like one of the next gen consoles or uh, or a really good computer to run it ah uh, yeah sure I'm, I'm i'm playing on my pc and i wow. waited until very quite recently so i got the update 1.23 uh which fixed almost everything so the game is <laughs> very very good i i haven't had any trouble but i had friends playing from day one in pcs as well that they didn't have much trouble of course the console side is kind of buggy and i don't know it, it didn't go really well but i don't know yeah yeah that's what stopped me from getting it and i've been waiting until like i can get one of the next gen consoles my brother got a next gen console and he's like this game and that's not his normal type of game but he's like (laughs) this game is phenomenal like yes i cannot stop playing it i've never had an experience in an rpg in a video game rpg like this before it's amazing i really recommend as soon as you can get your hands on it, do it. Because if, if you like the, 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 the genre, no, <laughs> you're going to love this. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. Well, sorry, sidetracks. We'll get back to no, the no, no, Hyper no. Wars. <laughs> really cool. Really cool. <laughs> yeah. Are there certain elements from the genre that you wanted to emphasize in Hyper Wars? Yes, correct. Uh, for example, the players, they play as big corporations. You can think Blade Runner corporations here. Uh, but the setting, the place where they, the, the story is not a very strongly backed uh, uh, with story, the game. But uh, the story behind it is that this takes place in a city where the corporations, they are kind of fighting each other over the control of the districts in the city. And the way to control is that each district, maybe it's the back alley or there is a flying party that uh, flies over the city the whole time and this kind of stuff. Those have different demands from uh, um, of illicit products like weapons or cyberpunk uh, cybernetic implants or computer viruses cloning matrixes this kind of stuff and the corporations they provide those to those districts but in order to secure your products and make sure that it gets to your clients you need to put your agents in those districts so the game is everything about moving your meeples, your agents around those districts. The game has six different small boards, and it's not something that each player has its own board. Everybody can put agents in any board, and each board, of course, represents one district. So the idea is that you want to secure your products by having the highest number of, of agents in that board when the time ends, when the game ends, the action phase ends, actually. So... You do this putting cards uh, to the table and you execute the actions like, let's say, okay, you play a card that is called deploy. So you deploy one agent to one specific district. And then you do this for five minutes, including on this, putting the products you want to provide that district. Uh, They are like little uh, resource cubes for each of the types of resources you want. And each district has a card that specifies exactly what they need. Let's say three blue cubes and five uh, red cubes. So you need to put this in that exact number 
there before the timer runs out. And it seems very simple, like, yeah, sure, I see three and five cubes, of course I can do this. It's very simple to do it. But if you consider that you're doing this in a real-time fashion, so there's no stopping, and also every time you perform an action, and I guess this is like one of the main mechanics in the game, is that you play a card, and then you pass this card to the next player after you played it. So what happens is that a flow of cards starts happening in the in the table, and if you are too slow, then you start piling up cards on your hand. And at the end of the game, you're going to lose points based on the number of cards you still have in your hand. Oh, so wow. this is like a secondary game. And of course, I, I know that the question was like, if I wanted to bring some elements from uh, Cyberpunk to the game, and I explained all this to say that my idea is... I wanted to give the players this feeling that they have control over a business like a corporation, but they cannot actually keep up to everything their opponents are doing because they need to run their own business. They cannot just stop and watch what's going on. I mean, they can, but this will be highly taxing uh, to their own points, to their own strategies. Uh, so that was the thing I wanted to bring, this competition between corporations in a very highly fast-paced environment, like a, a cyber, cyberpunk city of sort. So, yeah. I love that. And that makes a lot of sense. Kind of, the cards are almost like your business plan type thing. And as exactly. you, like, pass it on, somebody else can use it. But should they at the time, you know? They've got yes, to exactly. focus your priorities. Yeah, and it's you're right. It's very, like, business plan-like. Because you only, when you start the game, you only have three actions it's either deploy or move your agents around the city it's produce your goods and it's deliver your goods which means you can which mean you can distribute them uh, through the city so it's yeah it's fairly a, a business strategy that you need to put there but there's no time to wait and you cannot observe what the other ones are doing it's very uh, fast paced so yeah was there like a specific inspiration to this did you play another game or or just want to fill a void of something when you decided to design this? Yeah, actually, actually, yes. Uh, it's not a it's not a cyberpunk themed or even futuristic themed game, and it's actually a video game. So uh, back in 2012, I guess I was playing um, a video game called uh, Towerfall Ascension. I don't know if you have played this. Oh yeah, we love yeah. that one. I love this game, Riley. You have no idea. I mean, I played so much this with my friends. And this game makes my blood pump incredibly. I get really, really like pumped up when I play this game because you have this feeling that you cannot wait. If you wait for a millisecond, someone is going to hit you and, and so on. So, yeah. And that's exactly what I wanted to emulate with Hyper War. So since I started playing, I started thinking... Can I bring this sort of urgency, this sort of speed to a board game? Can I, can I make people feel like there is something pressing on them and they need to take care of as soon as possible because otherwise they are out of the game? And that was uh, my main inspiration to create Hyper Wars. That is really cool and makes me really excited because, I yeah, we love playing that game. My wife and I play that with another couple. And it's just like so much fun and excitement while yes. like it's like you're laughing, screaming, and I I could totally relate that to from what I've seen of your game. Like, oh yeah, that would emulate those same feelings in a very like different setting. 
So that's cool. Yes, precisely. And, and also there is this feeling when the, the game ends, when Hyper Wars ends, exactly as in uh, Tower Fall, you end the game like, ah, I had this. I, I'm sure I had this, but I, I missed for like a few points or a few seconds. Well, let's, let's play again. I'm going to beat you next time. So it's uh, this kind of feeling that I always have with uh, um, Tower Fall. Like as soon as one, one match ends, you want to start another one. And since it's a very short game, it's like five, ten minutes game, in, in the case of Hyper Wars. So, yeah, normally that's what we end up doing. Like, yeah, I'm going to get you the next time. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, I love it. What's your favorite, uh, I don't know, thing about Hyper Wars? Or more like component or or flavor that you have in there? One of the things, when, when I started play testing this, uh, my wife has a, a horde of uh, 3D printers. She loves 3D printing. She's very enthusiastic about it. So uh, just for, of course, every every prototype I do, she ends up printing stuff for me. And it was not different for, for Hyper Wars. But over time, I get really keen to this idea of having the, um, the resources, the resource cubes and the agents, the meeples, made out of plastic. Because I think, I mean, they're almost regular meeples. They're not exactly those Carcassonne meeples, but they are like small meeples. They are not really figurines or anything like that. But then I tried that with the wooden ones, but it was not like good enough. It didn't get the the feeling of something that is more in the future. So I had to go with those plastic uh, uh, components. And it's really cool. I I love the idea of having these plastic components. And yeah, I, I guess that's one of my favorite parts of the games. Not the game, not to talk about the art. I'm completely in love with Harper Wars art. Completely in love. From what I've seen, it's really cool looking and fits the genre and theme. And I, yeah, I love it. Who did your art? Uh, it's a guy called Nicholas Hook. Uh, I, I found him like maybe by accident or something on the internet. I was looking for an artist for the game. So I just jot something on uh, Twitter and he answered me like, look, I don't normally do this. Like I'm not an artist that do stuff for board games, but I really like your description of the game and I'd like to try it. What do you think? Maybe I can do some pieces for you for free and then you can uh, judge and something. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? But I wasn't really sure if he preferred to do like a character because I have some, some arts that would be like portraying more like a character and some that was more like parts of the city, so it's more like a landscape or something. I don't know what he preferred. So I said, okay, uh, I'm going to give you two options. This is a character, this is a landscape. You pick one, whatever you like, and you do it. And he was still even like, yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to pick one, maybe it takes a week or two because I'm doing some other stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I have no rush, though. so take your time and do your best, no, no problem. And then the next day, he came back to me with both of the the, the drawings. <laughs> I was like, "What? You, you, you told me it would take me like it take you like two weeks to do one." And he was like, "Yeah, but I was very pumped about this idea, so I I love it." <laughs> and I look at the drawings, and I was like, "Oh my god, I need this in my game. It it fits completely what I expect." So in the end, I guess that the whole background of the the the, the game was really inspired by Nicholas' uh, art in the end. I already have this idea of a city, of corporations fighting each other, but I only saw that coming to life when I saw his art. So for me, it's completely, uh, um, it complements the game. It completely makes the game even 
uh, more interesting than I already think it is because of the mechanics and the way you play it, this kind of stuff. But yeah, it's it's perfect for the game. Absolutely. Art is so important. I've bought several games almost solely based on the art. And looking at this one, I'm instantly drawn to it. It's like, <laughs> ooh, that's awesome. That is a box I would love to have on my shelf. <laughs> cool. I'm very glad you're here. I, and I hope Nicholas is uh, listening to this because he's going to uh, love love to hear this as well. Good. Can we go over the turns and action? Or not turns. There's no turns. It's all sure, sure, things, yeah, yeah. But the actions. Yeah, yeah sure. We can, we can talk about it for, for sure. Or explanation uh, of gameplay, I suppose. Nice. So, uh, as I was saying before, the gameplay, it fits into different phases. So there is the action phase and then the scoring phase. And everything that happens in the action phase is under the timer. So timer for five five minutes. It's always five minutes. And one thing I I designed uh, Hyper Wars 4 is to have several rule levels. When I first designed the game, uh, it was too much. People would play the game and I was like, I, I, I can't bear this. This is too much to think about. And of course, I started getting uh, frustrated players, which no designer wants to have. So I said, okay, I need to fix this somehow. And I got this amazing idea from Magic Maze because they add new rules as you go through the, the chapters. I don't know if you have played. It's another real-time game. It's a really cool game. And every time you play, you can add a new rule and then you keep playing. Things get more and more uh, complex over time. And then um, I did the same with Hyper Wars. So when you start, you start at rule level one. And it's very, very simple. You just have those three types of cubes, the red ones, the blue ones, the white ones, and you have three types of actions that you can do. So when the timer starts, all you have to do is to select a card from your hand. You start, everybody starts with three cards of the same type. One that is called Deploy Move, one that is called Deliver, and one that is called Produce. And you just play your cards one after the other. You play the card face up in front of you, do the action, and you pass the card to the player on your right, face down. Then you collect cards from your left, because the other players are pushing cards to you, of course, and you start over. However, there is a central deck as well, where you can hit, reach for more cards if you want, because everybody only has three at the time, at the beginning. And in the rule level one, it's just to add more options of the same actions. In rule level two and three and so on, there will be different type of actions that you can get from the central deck. So basically what you can do is deploy or move, which means you can put one of your one of your agents, one of your meeples from your reserve into one of the districts. Or you can move any number, one or more uh, meeples from one district to another district. If you picture this, each district is a small board, a small square board, and you can have like four or five or six, depending on how many players you have uh, on the table. And this is move or deploy. Then you can do the produce, and this is where the bag comes. The game comes with one bag per player. So basically, when you do produce, you take three cubes from the, the specific pools, and you can pick in any combination. Let's say you're interested in more white and blue, so you pick like two whites and one blue. Then you toss those cubes inside the bag. The bag starts already with nine cubes, three of each type. Then you throw three more there. You shuffle the bag and you pick randomly three cubes out of it and you put in one single area where, of course, you already have agents. So that's how you start putting your cubes there for a demand. 
However, the demand cards, the object objective cards, might not really fit whatever you took from your bag. Maybe you put two whites and one blue, but you took out three reds, I don't know. And then you just put everything in one single area that might not want or need any red cubes. And then there is the third action, which is the lever. When you play the lever, you can move any number of cubes from one area to another area where you have meeples. So basically, that's how you balance the types of cubes that you need in each of the, the districts. Well, and that's for rule level one, that's exactly what you do for five minutes. When, it's, when the, the time ends, uh, we just go over each of the districts scoring them. And the scoring goes like this. The, the player with the uh, highest number of meeples tries first to, to meet the demand of that district. So let's say I have four meeples and you have three meeples there. I go first and let's say the demand was three red cubes and uh, two blue cubes. I got exactly that, three red, two uh, blue. Then I get the highest value. Each objective card has two uh, reward values, one that is higher, one that is lower. So if I get it first, I get the highest value. After that, everybody can try, every other player in the district can try to fulfill the demand, and if they can, they get the lowest number. So it could be that for a district, I get seven points, and uh, the other players that can uh, fulfill the demand get uh, five points, for example. Uh, but there is a catch. You need to meet the demand exactly. So if you go over, let's say you have an extra cube there, you have four red instead of three, and then two blue, you lose one point from your reward for each extra cube. So you oh. cannot just, just dump cubes there and never care about it because you're going to lose points based on that. So you really need to balance uh, your cubes there. So that's how the game plays. Then we score every of the, the districts and whoever has more points uh, wins the game. However, before determining the winning player, we subtract points based on the number of cards you have in your in your hand. Remember when I started talking about the gameplay, I said that you play a card and then you pass the card. So if you end up with, I don't know, 10 cards in your hand, you're going to lose 5 points. And, I mean, this is a lot. You can have uh, negative points in Hyper War, so it's not uncommon that people end the game like minus 3 points or something. It's not really uncommon, because you can lose a lot of points if you have too many cards uh, in your hand. And that's the basic game. This is how you play. You play this in like about 10 minutes. It's very uh, easy. As we start adding new uh, rule levels, we're going to start adding new elements to the game. So, for example, the first thing that is added are the improvement cards, or sorry, improvement tiles. So they are small tiles that matches the color of the resources. So we have the red, improvement tile, the blue improvement tile, and the white improvement tile. And they are, you can purchase them using the cubes that you already have in your area when you when you produce them. And the price is always the same. It's always two cubes of that color. So to get one of the red uh, improvement tiles, you play two red cubes. And each one of them are going to improve your game. So I don't need to go to, uh, over all of them, but for example, you have improvement tiles that will take cards from your hand during the scoring phase so you will not lose the points for having extra cards in your hand. Hmm. So every every red tile, for example, will cover for two cards from your hand. So basically, you don't lose one point per tile that you can 
deploy. And you can have multiple of the same color, of course. Then there are some that uh, introduce uh, clones, which are bigger orange meeples that you can have. And during the scoring phase, they are like just regular meeples, but during the scoring phase, they count as two regular agents. So if you want to have the most agents in your in your uh, district, more than the other players, having uh, clones are going to be a, a great advantage, advantage to you. And there are some others. Then we add a fourth type of resource, which is the which are the green cubes. And the green cubes, they're a bit special. There are no demands that require green cubes, but green cubes can copy colors of other cubes. So if you have like one blue cube and one red cube, and then you put three more uh, green cubes, you can tell, okay, this green cube is the blue one and those other two are red ones. So I have three red and two blue and you fit the, the demand. So it makes it, makes it easier for you to balance out uh, what you have there. You have to pay less attention um, to this uh, when you have the, the green ones. And then finally, there are the attack tiles, which are kind of similar to the improvement tiles, but they play differently. When you purchase one of the, um, one of the attack tiles, instead of having them face up next to you to improve your, your game, you just put them face down in a district where you have a meeple. And then when the game ends, during the scoring phase, when no one can play anymore, we're going to review those tiles and they will mess up with the scoring part. So you can, for example, steal clones from other players. You can have an extra deploy or move action, like it's called reinforcements, like you call your buddies and they come up, come to help you uh, overcome the other player's number of meeples, for example. Um, or even you, you have one that really messes things up. It's called data leak and allows you to exchange the demand card from that district uh, or replace it by or with another one that is already by the, the game area. This is the preparation for this rule level. So basically you can play the whole game looking at a different objective. And in the end, at the end of the game, during the scoring phase, you can just switch your demand card with the one you were looking at from the beginning. So you can kind of try to trick everyone. And there's, of course, an attack that can cancel one of the other attack tiles. So this is like, in general, uh, how you play the game. To, to play one of those uh, attack or improvement cards, there is no specific action. What there is is some of the action cards in the game, they have a red border that they can be played as a regular card, let's say a produce. So you have a produce with a red border. You can play it as a produce normally, or you can use that card to buy an improvement or attack card. And then in that case, if you use the card that way, you don't pass the card. You just discard it and keep in the, the game keep going. So uh, so yeah, that's uh, yeah the overview of how Hyper Wars work. It's basically a game about having to pay attention and fighting over attention for a lot of reasons. So you want to see if there's someone else with more meeples than you in a specific uh, district, or you want to make sure that you have the exact number of cubes that you need in a specific area, and this kind of stuff. Or which kind of attack card someone put on your district, or which kind of improvement card someone else someone else's, some other opponent has, this kind of stuff. So it's very a game about... Paying, trying to pay attention why you have to like rush over your actions to make sure you're doing uh, what you need to do. 
Has there ever been any early games where somebody meets the exact requirements in all of the districts or the locations? Yeah, I've, I've met two players, two playtesters that were the best Hyper Wars players I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. They were like machines. I don't know. I don't know how they, how they did that. I mean, they keep completely calm over the game. Everybody's rushing and the person is just like, like they are in a different phase. Like they are just like playing calmly, like they were playing, I don't know, Settlers of Catan or something like this. And then eventually, yeah, they have everything done. They have all the cubes in place. And like, it's very hard to find players like this because it's very hard not to be influenced by the 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 way the game plays and how rushed it gets. So, yeah, it was really cool. It happened in some of the playtests, though, that someone was like, perfect, okay, I have full control of these things. And, like, and I was like, yeah, sure, I can't play like this. I, actually, I'm a terrible Hyper Wars player, to be honest. <laughs> I almost cannot win the game. So, uh, Well, that's good, though, because that means you don't... There's not, like, having a huge knowledge of the game doesn't give you an big advantage necessarily yeah i agree i agree i think the game of course you play better as uh if you play more you play better uh, over time because you also learn some of the strategies you can take like okay if i do this i can pay less attention to this specific thing so this gets me a bit more time to play on my own uh thing and so so you understand how the game works as you as you play but of course there's no fixed strategy that you can use to win the game so it's still quite stressing every time you play yeah (laughs) i can imagine (laughs) that sounds like a lot of fun sometimes with speed games they'll have like a soundtrack Mm -hmm. uh, as the timer do you have something like that I do have. So I normally don't play board games with uh, music on the background. It mm-hmm. kind of, I don't know, gets in the way sometimes. But that's not the case at all for Hyper Wars. It's not a type of a game that people want to discuss stuff during the game. So yeah, is someone doing this or that? No, no one cares. You just rush to the five minutes. So having the, the music on the background actually helps you focus on what you have to do. So yeah, so normally I put some dubstep when people play, when people play test the game. And it gets people even more like really, really rushing the, the things. It's like they, they tune to the music and then they, they just play like that. So it's really cool. I love it. Yeah, that's what I was picturing was something like dubstep or something that's got like a future intense feel to it. Yes, exactly. Oh, I love it. Why did you decide to go to the Kickstarter route? Yeah, actually, when I I was designing another game with a co-designer, a friend of mine, and it's a much longer game. It takes like today, it takes like three hours to play. It's a very very long game, and we wanted to take it to Kickstarter from the beginning. We really think the game has potential uh, to be a, a very interesting game for a, a higher um, audience. However, there is an obvious problem that is testing this three-hour-long game. It takes three hours to test, and then normally. No one's going to play two or three uh, uh, matches in a single session because it's kind of impossible. So it's really, really slow. And I was like, yeah, okay. I never made a, I never did a Kickstarter before. And I don't want to fail with this game because it's going to be super hard to test it. It's going to be a long process. And I, want, I don't want to get there and just don't know what to do with that. So what could I do to make a fast game to test so I could go first to Kickstarter with that? and then learn about Kickstarter itself. I wasn't really very worried about the game. I wanted to learn about Kickstarter. 
And then I came up uh, with Hyperwars idea back in 2018. And... I started working with that. And it's really amazing how fast you can play test this. Uh, Hyperwars has now definitely more than 200 hours of play tests. And it, it has been done through like more than 500 players already. So it's really cool that so many people have, have played and I got a lot of feedback on it. And then, I mean, okay, maybe I didn't go to Kickstarter as fast as I imagined, but I still went or I'm going to. Uh, Kickstarter right now. So that's how I came with the idea. And in the end, I really, of course, I still want to learn a lot about uh, Kickstarter. And I, and I am learning a lot about Kickstarter. Uh, but I'm, it's different now. I'm really like rooting for uh, Hyper Wars to be like a successful project. But now I, I really think the game has matured enough to be a, a very incredible game for people to have fun with. So, yeah. That's incredible. Uh, you talked about playtesting. Yeah. And I know that you had it up on TTS, right? On Tabletop Simulator? True, yes. How is, how is it having a timed game that's intense on there? Do you, <laughs> do you up the time a little bit? Say like, oh, you got eight minutes instead? Or, or how yeah, do you counter yeah. that? Yeah, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's still, I mean, you can still play, of course. It's, it's playable. I had, I had to increase the, the amount of time for sure. So normally the, the matches take like seven minutes more or less uh, to play. But it's terrible. Not only because, I mean, it's not the same when you are like moving your body around. It's like you're moving your mouse around. So I don't know. That's not really the same. But it's um, also, there's sometimes that you, if you do stuff quickly enough in tabletop simulators, stuff that you don't expect happen. Like you try to move your card and you actually throw a board away or something, or (laughs) I don't know, it's, yeah, sometimes there are bugs and stuff like this. I mean, the game works. I tested a lot with the tabletop simulator, especially now due to the pandemic and stuff like that. I couldn't go out really, but I tried to limit the tabletop simulator playtesting uh, with other game designers because it's much easier for them to like relate how how this would picture or how this would work in a table. So if I do this with a regular player, it might be that they would just get frustrated and they won't like the game because of that when it's actually not the game's fault. In the end, it could be the interface's fault. So, um, yeah, not saying that the game is perfect. It's far from this, but I mean, it's <laughs> obviously uh, uh, hurt by the the virtual uh, testing but i found amazing people helping me uh, with the play tests on the online community called virtual play testing vpt they are like great great people i get so much great advice on this game there and it really helped the game for sure but at some point i decided okay i'm done with play testing hyper wars uh, online so now on from now on i just do it on the table that's when i got the prototype um, the review prototypes, and yeah, I, I, I don't regret this because it, it really is really good also to play uh, online, but yeah, for a um, real-time game, it's not that good. Yeah, you'd almost need to set up an entire like app or browser that has the system where you can just like click and it does it automatically or whatever. Like, exactly. I could see tabletop simulator being very difficult for this type of game <laughs> yeah exactly and of course uh, as you said you can improve it like making some macros that will allow you to click a button and then stuff happens for you but that also takes out of the game part of the stressful 
um, physical management of the, 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 the elements, right? Because this is also very stressful. If you have 10 cards in your hand and you have to like pick one and put on the table and then you have to move stuff around. So this is also part of the game. This is also something you need to go through when you're playing Hyperwars. There is a dexterity uh, element to it if you, if, you, if you think about it. Yeah. Well, going into your Kickstarter campaign... Do you have any, I don't know, surprises or exclusives or, or different tiers for rewards? Nice. That you can talk uh, about at least. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so the, the campaign is going to be very, very conscious. So as a first-time creator, it's very hard to get stuff done, especially when you're doing almost everything. I'm not doing everything myself. I have a, a great help from from friends and other people close to me working on, for example, the marketing aspects of it, which I don't understand a thing about. So <laughs> it's really it's really good to have someone that really understands this part uh, helping me out. Uh, and also, of course, all the 3D modeling for like the GIFs and how to play and this kind of stuff that I, I, I don't do this kind of things. So it's really good to have this kind of help, but still it's a lot of work. So I ended up having a very... Uh, conscious campaign so my uh, stretch goals will be mostly on uh, improvement material improvement so getting better finishing for the cards or better quality for the uh, the um, cardboards for the the boards better meeples and so on so this is mostly what i'm gonna have as uh, stretch goals although there is one and this is kind of secret i'm not going to reveal it which is uh, very, very special. And I think it's going to make the, the game experience even better. So I'm going to have one surprise uh, stretch goal for the, for the campaign. Stay tuned. Ooh, and exciting. Uh, on, the, on the reward tiers side, I don't see much reason to have like several different tiers. The game is very good as it is. I normally don't like the idea of having, okay, I'm going to split this game in two and then I'm going to make half of it just part of a specific reward because I I really like the idea that the game can be completely enjoyed uh, by everyone playing or buying the game, uh, helping the campaign. So I'm probably going to have one uh, tier. I won't do, for example, a um, retailer version. I'm going to have a retailer program for sure, but that's not going to be handled through Kickstarter. I think it hurts a little bit, the feeling of... Uh, the ones that are trying to, to help you and buy for you, buy it from, from you. But I still want to have this on retailer if it's possible. So I'll definitely start a retailer, pro- retailer program um, as well. So, yeah, this is uh, mostly what I'll, what I'll have. You know that shipping and distribution right now is being crazy. It's the, 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 price, the prices are going super high. I, I think I might not be a, a big victim of this because I will not be shipping now since I'm just starting the campaign. Uh, yeah. Now. So maybe I will ship this uh, beginning of, not maybe, for sure I should be shipping this uh, at the beginning of next year when, when maybe the situation is a bit better. But it's kind of stressful to, to navigate those things when you are not completely sure on how to do it. So. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's an interesting time right now because it's really hard for Kickstarters that were last year and are now almost to the fulfilling part and shipping part. And all of a sudden those prices are way up and now they're going to lose that much money. And I, I wish that we could do a two part pledge manager, almost one where you commit to the, you know, 
your the game and any extras or how many copies you want, whatever it is. And then later, once it's closer to shipping, another pledge manager of here's shipping. Like, yeah, the, I think this would help. And also, of course, I guess that at least me when I back projects on Kickstarter, I normally pick the ones that are really from like first time creators or like smaller companies indeed, because I think this fits more the Kickstarter profile in the end. And, and I think that, well, it is what it is, right? You, you want to back the project, not because it, it's cheap or because uh, the price on the shipping is going to be small or something like this. You want to help the project because you believe in the project. You, you want to see it out. You want to see where the creators are going. So that's normally what I uh, try to have in my mind. So, of course, sometimes the shipping is going to be much higher than I expected. And if I can't pay for it, of course, I'll try to talk to the the creators themselves. But normally it's something, yeah, sure, I understand. And it's not their fault. And it's not that like they are making more money out of it by charging extra in the fulfillment process. Or right. So, yeah. yeah. It's a whole line of of uh just problems unforeseeable problems that we we couldn't have anticipated and we all need to be patient with kickstarters right now (laughs) yeah exactly and also of course i mean it's important to to have the money to make the the project and to be Mm -hmm. very very honest with you riley i i'm i'm not on it for for the money for sure i mean Mm -hmm. it's not it's not that easy i don't know how many people that is listening have gone to a Kickstarter project. It's not easy to make money out of Kickstarter, and it's a very complex uh, process, especially if you're doing it for the first time. So you you end up like charging a little bit more because you need to craft the game yourself from the beginning. You don't have a huge team doing that for you and stuff like that. So in the end, I'm really doing this because I want to, people to play the game. I want people to have fun with the game. And I really will be very uh, happy to have my my one of my games out there making people having fun. This is for me is like the highest uh, uh, reward for me. Of course, I need the money to produce the game. I I'm completely uh, uh, clear and transparent about this. It's not like I could just produce the game out of my pockets and be fine. <laughs> it's not. But at the same time, the most important thing to me is okay. I, I want people. It's I had no idea when I started doing the review prototypes, that I would be so touched by actually seeing the box of the game. It's, it sounds really silly, but when you see the box and you're like, gosh, I did this. This is like, there is something there that I created that people can actually open the box and enjoy. And it gets even better, even more intense when you get people like uh, the reviewers coming to you and saying, yeah, I picked up your game. I read the, the rule book. I played it. And I love it. It's really cool. I mean, it's amazing that you can transfer this kind of fun, this find this kind of joy by something that you created. This kind of experience, from a designer point of view, for me, I mean, there, there's no price to this. It's really amazing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can. I I get excited just hearing about that. <laughs> it's it's really cool. Really amazing. Yeah. It's like passing on your legacy type thing. It's like people yes. will have your game on their shelves, on their table, you're bringing so much joy to so many people's lives. And that's, there's no price tag on that. And of course, I also think it's, it's a way to kind of 
repay that as well because I mean because of role playing games because of board games I was able to keep in touch with friends when you grow up and I was playing since I was a kid when you grow up things change right people get family they get kids they have different uh, uh, projects in their lives and I think I think this is completely normal but if you have something to hold on to and this keeps your friends coming back and having great fun together and sharing this sometimes the authors the designers that did the game, they have no idea the type of joy they are delivering to you. I mean, as a kid back in Brazil, I basically learned English just by uh, reading role-playing game books. This is mostly how I got to learn English. And this has opened to me an incredible amount of opportunities in my life uh, with my career, with friends, like moving abroad, this kind of stuff. And those people, those authors, those designers... Sometimes they have no idea how much they can influence someone's life. And I, I would love to pay this back in some, in some way. Like, okay, maybe uh, this game will inspire people to create their own games. Maybe it will inspire them to bring their friends over and play with them and be together and develop a relationship. Of course, it's not the, the game's responsibility to do this, but it's a way to kind of pave the road for them to get to this uh, point. So it's for yeah. me, it's like a whole experience just creating the game and thinking about how you can influence li- people's life with that. That is awesome to hear. <laughs> I love hearing cool. that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. yeah no problem. No problem at all. <laughs> well, do you, so you are you thinking like uh, late August or early September for release? Yeah. So currently, my estimated date of launch is thirty first of August. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, basically a month from today when we're uh, recording this, and uh, and this is the estimate because I think it's going to be ready by then. Probably in like a couple of weeks, I'm going to release the the pre-launch page on on Kickstarter, Ooh, so I will get more people like to hit the button to be notified, so we can have better understanding. Um, but of course, I mean, if something happens and I think it's not ready, maybe I can postpone it a little bit. I, I don't want to do it, though. I really want to go through this date. I think it's uh, a good time to do it in, in the year. Uh, I don't want to do it too close to the, the Christmas and Black Friday, these kind of uh, dates. So, um, yeah, yeah. But, but I guess that now is a very good moment to do it. And as soon as that comes out, I'll put... I mean, I'll share it on my social media, but also I'll put it in the episode notes. So if you're listening to this, you might as well just check the show description and see if the the launch page, pre-launch page is on there. And you can just click on it and go sign up. Do you want to talk about you for a minute? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yes, of course. Yes. Ah, well, maybe if, if I can just uh, say something, one more thing about of uh, course. Hyper Wars. Yeah, It's absolutely. like um, uh, if, if you are listening to this and you are excited and the campaign is not launched yet or you don't have the pre-launch page yet, you can also go to our website. So we probably can have the description in the description of the video, the URL to the website, I guess. Yeah. So um, you can go to our website and the first thing in the website is a subscribed form where you just put your email. I'm not going to spam you. I'm not going to send you anything that is not about specifically the Kickstarter campaign and when it launches. So if you want to help, this is the best way you can help right now uh, by going there and subscribing and asking your friends to subscribe if they are interested in the game. So please help us. Perfect. Well, we've talked about you being into tabletop RPGs and video games. Uh, is there, what else do you love to do? 
What other hobbies have you got? Nice. I read a lot. I am a compulsive reader, so I cannot stop reading. <laughs> it's really <laughs> something that uh, is with me my, my whole life. I, my father always uh, read a lot, so I guess I got it from, from him. And uh, yeah, to, to the point that when I was like 11 or 12 years old, I have read all Agatha Christie's uh, uh, books. Oh, okay. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I love this. So yeah, I really uh, always enjoyed reading. It's really cool. Do you have a favorite genre? Uh, well, I love sci-fi. I love to read sci-fi. It's my favorite genre for for sure. And also, I, I read a lot of non non-fiction books as well, uh, okay. mostly into like psychology, behavioral psychology, uh, game design as well. Of course, I read a lot about game design uh, all the time, but I'm quite interested in the behavioral psychology. Very cool. I also have cats, which is a uh, a big hobby. I have six of them. So uh, it makes a huge hobby. You need to like be with them all the time, and I love spending time with my cats. Oh my really, goodness! Really cool. Yeah, I had to like kind of expel some of them from from this room before we just started because they just <laughs> wanted to cuddle and be with me and like meowing around. I was like, yeah, that's not gonna happen. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I had to take them to another uh, room. <laughs> so one of my hobbies is, of course, my 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 cats. Oh, I love it. Yeah, they are they are amazing. They are like really, really uh, loving creatures. Really, really cool. I, I I know that some people are not like cat people, but normally what I say is that people that are not cat people is because they didn't spend enough time with cats. Because cats are just amazing. I love them. Yeah, I didn't like cats until I got married, really, and then she uh-huh. already had a cat, and I absolutely loved that cat. He passed away earlier this year, but it was like now now we. We had three cats for a while, and now we just have two. But uh-huh. I love them so much. I cannot imagine having six. Do they all get along really well? Can you hear my cat? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, no. They, 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 in general, they, they like stay well together. It's normally I, I have two males and four females, so they kind of are all. Fine with each other. Sometimes, of course, they they they, they have their own feuds. Sometimes, mm-hmm. and I understand that it's the same with humans, I guess. So uh, it's okay, but they are normally very very okay uh, playing together and being together. They, they sleep together. They like lick each other all the time, and like yeah, they they love to be with, with each other. That is very very cool. I'm very curious about uh, your kitty litter situation. <laughs> Uh-huh. I can definitely talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a topic we didn't think we'd get into, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, one, we we have two two bathrooms in the in the apartment, and one is very small, and that's the cat's uh, bathroom. So <laughs> yeah, because yeah, sure. So I have four boxes there, and they mess it up a lot it's it's like yeah it's incredible but one thing that we had to do and i think it helped a lot is to put one of those pet doors in the bathroom door so the bathroom door stays closed all the time and they just go through the pet door to go in and out that is genius it's really cool because this uh make them move more when coming in or out so they come out with less litter on their ponds and and fur and also keeps the smell inside the bathroom, so it doesn't escape that much. If you if you leave the door open, that is definitely unbearable. So uh, 
So, yeah, of course, I, I have to clean like uh, two times a day normally, which is fine. But apart from this, it's cool. Ah, there's, of course, the cats, yeah, they, they, they tend to do what, whatever they want to. So, for example, one of our, our cats, she uses the, the, the litter box to do their, their, their stuff, but just poop, poop in there. She never pees on the litter. She wants one of those uh, dog um, mats, dog that that you, you you put on the ground and you have dogs. So yeah. she pisses there. She she pees there. And like, yeah, okay, sure. But it's just another thing that you need to like fix every day, of course. So it's like having a dog sometimes. I mean, <laughs> that cat. I, sometimes I have the feeling that she's not really a cat. She's a dog. I mean, she comes when I call her name. She's at the door when I come home. So sometimes I really think she's a dog. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, and even when she goes to the bathroom, she kind of behaves like a dog as well. So yeah, but uh, that's my my litter situation. It's not it's not easy. You need a lot of management. It's like a um, yeah. You know, I I've been using right now three different types of litters because I'm I'm testing which ones they like more. Mm, that's so smart. I'm actually yeah. taking notes like every day when I go up and clean, I count how many bees you have, how many poop you have in each one of the boxes and I'm trying to figure out, okay, which ones they use first and which ones they go second when they finish what, finish this one when it's too uh, dirty, for example. So, yeah. That it's, is it's fascinating. A, it's a game on its own, I would say. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like you're a, a researcher of your cat's bathroom goings. <laughs> Exactly, because I mean, if they don't like the leader, it's us that suffer, right? If they don't exactly. want to, to be in the bathroom, they will be somewhere else, and we're not going to be happy with that. Yeah, we just found a litter that one of our cats uh, we got as an. She was like two years old when we got her, and for whatever reason, she she just would not pee in the litter, and we uh-huh. finally found a litter that she likes, and so we haven't seen her peeing anywhere. Hopefully, she's not peeing anywhere else. But yeah. Yeah, we went through that as well. My my wife had a, a a little bit of allergy, not a little bit, I guess, a lot of allergy from one of the leaders uh, we used. So Ooh. we decided to switch. And the new one, it was super fine with her, but the cats they didn't like it, so they would just re- refuse to use it. And then, okay, if I can't be here, I'm gonna be somewhere else. You know how that works. Yeah, it was a nightmare. So that's why I started the research project to understand which ones they like best and uh, how much they go into each one so I can find a better answer for everyone. (laughs) I love it. Well, thanks so much for talking about that. I know (laughs) neither of us were planning on talking about that. but (laughs) Amazing. Uh, You can keep going on with your other hobbies if you want. Oh, I I make kombucha. Oh, really? Yes, I, I make it. I, I I haven't talked about this today here, but uh, I'm a biologist. I have a degree in biology. Oh, cool. So uh, I really like the idea of like growing stuff. And then uh, I, I found about kombucha many, many years ago. My mom used to do it back like in the 90s. It was a huge fever, kombucha fever in Brazil. Everybody wanted to do it. And, and it's been many years. I never heard about it again. And a friend here in, in Stockholm, came to me one day and said, ah, do you know what kombucha is? I'm like, yeah, sure, I remember this. Yeah, because I'm brewing it. And I was like, yeah, really? Could you give me some uh, scoby so I can, I can try? Yeah, sure, I can. And then I've been doing this for almost two years now. I, I love making kombucha. It's really, really good when you like mix it with fruits. And 
I do all crazy experiments. I've done uh, kombucha vinegar. So uh, today we basically use kombucha vinegar at, at my place. Wow. Um, it's really, really, the flavor is amazing. I, I really like it. Of course, I have friends that are like, this is gross. I'm never going to put that in my mouth. This came from bacteria. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, you have no idea which kind of things that comes out of bacteria that you eat every day. You have no idea. Yeah. So, yes, never mind. I'm very particular on my kombucha. My wife loves a lot of it. And I, most of the time I'm like, oh, can't drink that. But every once in a while I find one that is good. I bet homemade one is amazing. Uh, yes, yes. How long does it take to do? So it, it, it changes over time, depends on how, how strong your your uh, SCOBY gets. So normally at the beginning, it takes sometimes one week, maybe two weeks uh, to get really a good taste without being too acid. Mm-hmm. Um, but over time, I mean, I, I can brew kombucha in like four, five days, more or less. Wow. And then, of course, you you take it out of the the big pot and you put in a in a bottle with some fruit inside, for example, some juice or even the extract of the fruit, really. And then you just leave it there for more two or three days. It gets really a little bit of a gas, and yeah, it's it's perfect. It's very refreshing. That is really cool. What's been your favorite flavor or flavors that you've made? Uh-huh. I the one I make that I love the most is uh, pomegranate. Mm. I would not expect this to be honest at first, but it gets really tart, really dry. It, it almost uh, um, tastes like wine without being alcoholic, of course, uh, but has the same dryness. You can like enjoy it with, like meat or something like cheese, something uh, that you, you you'd like to have with something that is more tart, more more dry. It's really good. That sounds good to me. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really uh, delicious. I uh, love it. <laughs> so anybody who comes and visits Sweden can have some of your kombucha, right? <laughs> That's for sure. Just drop by and you definitely have some kombucha. I always have kombucha around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You mentioned you're a biologist. So is that what you yes. do for work? No, I'm a programmer. On my day-to-day oh, okay. work, I'm a programmer. I started programming maybe 2000, 2000 or 1999 or something. And it became my career eventually. I decided to go to biology after that. So I was already a programmer for maybe seven or eight years when I decided to go to biology. And I decided that because I wanted to work with something around bioinformatics. And it's a really interesting topic. It's a lot of, uh, it's, it's basically using software to analyze biology data in the end. That's uh, what it is. Interesting. Um, yeah. In, in, in college, I, I had a project analyzing um, fly DNA with software I, I, I made during the, the period. And it was really, really interesting. It's a very nice field. I don't work with that today. I'm a completely different kind of uh, programmer. I, I do like automation stuff, nothing really related to biology, but it's mm-hmm. still very fascinating. I, I really love it. Oh, that's good. Are there any more hobbies you want to share? Well, I think it's, yeah, those are the main ones. Of course, I, I love to like uh, do bike trips. It's really nice and it's very uh, good to do this here in, in, in Sweden, except during winter when you cannot uh, actually, I mean, you can. People uh, bike outside during winter as well, but I think it's too dangerous for me, so I don't do it. <laughs> but, yeah, people do it. Oh, very cool. 
Well, let's play Ridiculous Theme. Amazing. Did you come up with a ridiculous theme? I actually uh, thought about one exactly during our uh, our interview. Yes, I love when that happens. <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. And then maybe maybe you have guessed already. I think we should make a game about cat litter management. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think this could be like great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost I've actually thought of this kind of before <laughs> because when we had three cats it was like we had f- I think we had four litters and they would fill up so much. But now with all of this information, I almost feel like you could do the whole research thing of like certain cat you have you draw random cats and they're attracted to different ones and you need to try and yes. find the best. <laughs> yes, do you, you know uh with wingspan does that you have this uh, bird and I don't know the bird lays eggs in this kind of nest and it's uh, from this kind of environment so you could have cards like this so this cat likes I don't know oh wooden uh, litter and the box needs to be round and it has to be half full and I don't know if there's already two two peas in there the cat's not gonna go there anyway <laughs> or something. oh my gosh I love it <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of dimensions I think <laughs> Uh, yeah, that is so perfect. <laughs> and I love that you brought it to Wingspan. <laughs> like, putting it in those terms opens it up so much to, I don't know, I just, I think that would work so well. <laughs> I think it would be a good theme. I, I, I agree. I would, I would definitely play a game like this because... That's something I need to know about. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this could uh, could work. And then, I don't know, maybe you, you win by having the, I don't know, most cats or something. Because as you put more cats together, it's going to be harder and harder to have enough uh, uh, litter to satisfy everyone. And if they pee outside, you lose points. Or if they poop outside, you lose points or something. Like yeah. That. Yeah, <laughs> that would be interesting to do. Like, uh, maybe it's like how many feces your litters collect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, sure. And you can have like different box that fits more or less. Like, uh, yeah, okay, if it's too small, it's gonna fill up too fast, and then they're just gonna not use it or start using something else. Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yes, glorious. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. I'll definitely write down as an idea for a future game. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to Kickstarter 2022. No, <laughs> uh, awesome. I guess it, uh, the game could even take advantage of some other cat-related games. Like, I don't know. You could say, instead of saying Isle of Cats, you could have a leader of cats. Or uh, you could have like pooping kittens instead of uh, exploding kittens. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it! <laughs> oh, yes, amazing. <laughs> and I thought for sure we were gonna go somewhere like a ridiculous theme set in cyberpunk, but yeah. <laughs> so much better. <laughs> I agree, I agree. Uh, yeah. One other thing that cats uh, teach you, I, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you want, else you want to bring up before we have you plug your stuff? Yeah. Well, I think we covered 
a lot of things. So I think it's uh, yeah, it's really good. I I must say that this is the first like a uh, kind of recorded interview I did. I did some live interviews before, which sounds uh, very different because of course. Uh, you don't have much time to like, okay, I, I cannot go anywhere I want. There is a script and there is a live or so, but this is really different. I, I really enjoy it. And you are a, you are an amazing host, Riley. I feel really relaxed to talk about stuff. You give space and you, you make questions. You ask me if I want to ask questions. So this is really cool. It's really amazing. Well, thank you. I, yeah, it's really cool. I have fun doing it. <laughs> awesome. The whole idea is just to have like a relaxed, Space to have a casual conversation. Awesome. So, how long have you been doing it? Well, I had a podcast before this that we did for 19 episodes, and this will be episode 20, actually. I think. Awesome. So, a new record. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Woohoo, new <laughs> farthest. But this yeah. one's focused, been focused on the community more on a whole, and mm-hmm. uh, the other one was more like, I didn't have a clear idea, but we were we started with game design because I'm an amateur game designer, uh, mm-hmm. and then it ended up just like kind of progressing to just being all things nerd because my co-hosts I and I are both like very nerdy comic books, video games, uh, nice board nice. games, and everything. So, cool. If you ever think about having a, a heavy Star Trek based episode, you can count on me. I'm a huge tracker. Oh, really? Like, uh, yes, your- yes. I used to. I used to go like to conventions, like dressed as Vulcan or Klingon or Andorian, whatever. So yeah, this oh was my, my thing when I was a, a youngster. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. What's uh, well, two questions, I guess. What's your favorite race, and what's your favorite uh, series sure, or yeah. movie? So cool. My favorite race are definitely the Klingons. I I love them the way they are pictured and the way they develop the culture around the honor and stuff. So I really think it's a, it's an amazing way how they... I mean, at first when they did it in the original series, it was more like, a I don't know, an excuse to talk about the Russians or something like that. But uh, <laughs> as, as the, 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 the shows uh, progressed and they started doing it, especially in Next Generation, they developed a lot, the, the Klingon way. And so it really got uh, super interesting. Normally, people are more fun of the Vulcans, but I, I think they are too bleak sometimes. I don't know. It's like, it's very like, okay, they are just some uh, weird people that doesn't want to feel stuff, and like, they don't really show what they what they are here for because, of course, uh, it's not about them to showing anything, so they they don't do it. But the Klingons, yeah. no, the Klingons are all about showing and like growling and fighting and being themselves. So it's it's really cool. I love them. And my favorite show, that's a hard one. I think Deep Space Nine is my favorite one. I think the, the topics that they, they approach in the series are amazing. They talk like about like um, war crimes and refugees and racism. So, so the topics are really, I think, more close to what Roddenberry had as a, an idea for uh, Star Trek when he started. Of course, the next generation also does that. A lot of uh, interesting topics there, but they still, I think they have a lot of this 80s feeling from the American TV. So it's too too well behaved. Everything has to be very clean and very uh, clear. And uh, so I, I th- and of course, very inclusive. And I think that uh, Deep Space Nine is also inclusive, but in a different way. It takes yeah. another 
another pick uh, out of this. It looks at the from the point of view that some people are not being included. And then how do we do this? How do we fix this issue here? It's not something like, yeah, everybody here is included. The Federation is amazing. And then something from outside comes and disturbs. No, in Deep Space Nine, something inside the Federation is not good. And, okay, we need to fix this. We need somehow understand why we are helping, I don't know, the Cardassians to be that mean to the Maquis and whatever. So it's really cool. I love this uh, this show. Oh, that is cool. I know that the creator originally, he tried to put certain themes and topics in and the network was like, no, yeah. no, you Walking can't talk about homosexuality, ugh, homosexuality, yeah. you know, like, you can't have that in this. This is a wholesome series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The the, the first uh, pilot they made, even before William Shatner, the first officer was a woman. Mm. And and uh, the company was like, no, uh, you cannot put a woman in, in that high-ranking uh, role. So, no, we, we can't take this. So they had to reshoot it and, and do it in another way. But, I mean, it still went through, I think. It still did a lot of uh, good things for for future television and, of course, for pop culture in general. Oh, absolutely. I think Star Trek paved the way for for nerd culture to be, like, a, a more yes. openly and accepted thing. Definitely, yes. So. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for, for inviting me to this. It's really yeah. fun. Thank you. It was fun. Uh, I'll I'll plug I do an outro uh, after so like the day before it comes out I usually record an outro with current mm-hmm. info and whatnot. Uh, um, but why don't you plug your social media your whatever you've got whatever you want to plug your website anything at all go for it. So well uh, thanks Riley for having me today it was really amazing and thanks everyone for listening. Uh, I'm really uh, happy to be here and talk about hyper wars and how it's going so if you like uh, the idea of the game if you like this interview please uh, come to us and follow us we have a lot of social media to share with you so you can go for example to instagram and search for dice coalition games you can also go to facebook and find the same dice coalition games we are there and we have our main website which is dicecoalition.games and if you go there, you're going to find links to our YouTube channel, to our... Uh, we, have, we even have a TikTok uh, for Dice Coalition. It's not very common these days, but uh, we do it. So follow us and thank you. Perfect. You're also on Twitter too, right? That's where we... Yes, I'm on Twitter. Yes. Yes. I, I think I didn't mention that. But yeah, I, uh, I we are on Twitter for sure. Yeah. And also... Um, if you're interested, you can also follow me, myself, Fabricio, in the, you know, on Twitter under Fabricio Leocci. And you will find a lot of stuff about my own designs and my thoughts about board game design and other stuff as well. So, yeah, feel free to follow us. Thank you. Perfect. And, of course, as always, you can look at the show notes and I'll have all of those, uh, the link to his website and, and the Twitter handle or the social media handles on there. So. Thank you so much for listening. This was an absolute blast and I am so excited. Fabricio actually just announced that Hyper Wars is coming to Kickstarter August 31st. 
So that pre-launch page should be coming pretty soon. Watch the social media for it at coalition underscore dice. You can also go to the website. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can just go there and click on it and you could subscribe and, and get all the latest news. I'm excited. The game looks beautiful. He sent me some pictures of the the actual game and wow, I'm excited. It's it's really cool looking and I I think it'll be a lot of fun. If you enjoyed the show, you should drop a review. I would super appreciate it and it helps to get the show seen more and listened to more and people will see it, your review and they'll be like, oh, wow, somebody I don't know loves the show. I should listen to it, right? That's how it works. And if you don't like the show, then go recommend it to your best frenemies and be like, (laughs) they're totally going to hate this. And I'm so happy because I wasted all their time, but they won't hate it. They're going to love it. I, I really appreciate the support. I appreciate everybody listening. I am on Twitter at nerd out with us, and you can email me at the board game community show at gmail.com. If there's somebody that you think would be a good guest or somebody you would be interested in getting to know better in the board game community, then let me know. That would be super swell. Next week, I will be in Portland, so I'm going to record on the road, and it is going to be another community episode. So you could go pop on Twitter, or you could email me at theboardgamecommunityshow at gmail.com and tell me two things. One, what's your favorite place you've visited? And two, what's the favorite game you've played this summer or whatever season it is where you are? Because we've got listeners all over the world. And that's really, really cool. Protocon Online is coming up on August 28th. It's a really exciting thing. You get to come and playtest designers' games that they're working on. So you get to give feedback in that critical, that crucial stage of development and help form the game or find what's broken. Try and break their game spectacularly and find what's wrong with it. And sometimes there's nothing wrong. Sometimes it's ready. And they're like, well, you just played what's going to go to Kickstarter or or even just straight to stores because not everyone does the Kickstarter route. You can sign up to have your game play tested. There might still be a little bit of time that you can do that. Or you can just sign up and come and play games. It'll be all day, August 28th. Check the show notes for the Discord and you can join there and then from there, just say like, hey, I need to sign up for Protocon Online to play. Or, hey, I've got a game. Can I enter it in to be played? I'm going to close out just talking about Rick Lorenzen again. For those of you that may not have known, he was a really, really awesome part of this board game community. He was one of my first listeners. He was the first person that I didn't personally know that was listening to my podcast, Nerding Out. And he also listened to the board game community show and he would contribute. And it just felt so cool to me that that here was this 
person that I, I didn't actually know in person and they were contributing to the show and and I was asking questions and they were going back and forth and, and we had actually talked about him coming on to the board game community show and and he actually nerding out too but our schedules never lined up and and it's just a big sad regret that I will always have that I never got to actually have him on the show I was supposed to meet him several times he was supposed to come to a a design guild meeting the other week he had marked that he was going to go and i would not shut up to my wife about how excited i was to finally meet rick in person no joke the entire time we were there i just kept going to my wife and being like maybe he's he's late he'll be here i'm sure i'm sure i'm just so excited to meet him and then at SaltCon, which was this past weekend, he was really excited to bring his game that he was designing there. Uh, he's been designing it for a really long time. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous work of art. And we had talked about playing it, whether that would have been at SaltCon or, or another time that we just got together to play. It would have been amazing. I, I'm really sad that I'll never get to meet him in person, but I, I value so much the things that he did for me, he did for this community, and I honestly don't think I'd be podcasting without his support because it was he was just the first person that it was that cool feeling of like, I'm building a relationship with somebody online through my podcast, and that was so rewarding. I, I will miss him immensely. Oh... So there is a GoFundMe. I'll link it in my show notes. Just go look in there, click on it. You could read about the people he left behind. Him and his wife both passed away in that car accident and and left behind their kids. And so they need taken care of. So if you can go look at that GoFundMe, if you can contribute, awesome. Or if you can share it on the social, great. Any support is, is deeply appreciated. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week. Keep nerding out.